Hey everyone, this is Goldilocks and you are watching the WZWA Network. Stay golden. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the WZWA Network podcast here on YouTube and all podcasting platforms. I am the host once again with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is so good to be with you once again. This will be my third interview this week out of five. I'm I'm having a hell of a week with uh, everyone that I've had booked in so far, and I am thrilled at this time to introduce my guest here tonight and today her time. Uh, she's the multi-talented, intelligent, funny, and incredibly beautiful, the one and only Goldilocks. Goldilocks, how are you? That was just fantastic. What a fanfare. And just to hear all that great stuff about myself, and it was nice and it was beautiful. Because what if you would have said, like, the multi-talented, funny, but really ugly, I would have been like, all right, well, <laughs> two out of three isn't bad or whatever. <laughs> I that. Thank you. We, we wouldn't be off to a good start, I don't think. No, I would um, suck. Five interviews this week. That's great. Oh, yeah. I, I really have been. We, we had a bit of an issue, issue last year. We only started the show last year. Uh, but we yeah. had like a space of about two months where I couldn't get anything. Oh, uh, and then somebody fun, screwed yeah. me around. And, and, I know. Uh, I get it. I was yeah. Like, yep, so I get it. Yep. now I've been like on the grind getting as many in as possible so that never happens again and we never have that gap it's a really awful feeling i had uh someone scheduled last night um i've got somebody scheduled tonight for my podcast with vince russo's brand and you know you get everything all ready to go and for a girl it's a lot different for unless you're a very you know uh progressive gay man and you wear <laughs> all your makeup and hair and everything but to get all ready and get everything set and i try to do different vignettes and then you know, like 20 minutes before they were like, oh, well, somebody in the group has a sore throat. And I was like, well, okay, whatever. <sighs> you, know what I mean? you, don't, you don't do that 20 minutes before. Somebody else said a couple of days prior, I'm just really packed on the day. Is there any way I'll still do it, but is there any way we could do it on the weekend or a different? And I looked and I said, yeah, no problem. And it's like, yeah. give somebody the courtesy of a, of a heads up and just don't be a flake or don't, if you're scared of interviews, then don't say you're going to do one anyway. But I will tell you, Carl, that the minute somebody is hesitant at all, when I ask them to do the show, or I just say, I just forget it because you can tell right away by who they tell you that they are, that they're going to probably flake. So, yeah, no, I've, I've definitely learned that. That's for sure. Um, yeah. I even had somebody uh, beg me to uh, pay them up front because um, obviously <laughs> some people like to be paid for these things. So I need the money for, for, for food and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, sure. No worries, man. And I sent him the money. And then we had the interview scheduled for that weekend. And I'm there. I've spent three hours doing research and compiling sure. all these questions. And I'm ready to go. And I don't hear from him. And then finally he gets back to me like two days later after I've, you know, given him a yeah. bit of a serving saying, you know, dude, you, you're really wasting my time. I was up at, you know, midnight waiting for this thing. Anyway, long story short, he screwed me around the second time. He came up with all these excuses. And then the third time he just completely ghosted me and never responded uh, again. So I just put through a, a complaint through PayPal and got my money back. So. 
Good. I'm glad you can get your money back for that. So good yeah. for you. Yeah. But I, I, I still haven't called him out for it because I don't know what's going on with him. Maybe there's other things happening. But anyway. Yeah. He sucks. Forget about the negative. Let's talk about the positive. And the positive is you, Goldie. I am very excited oh, to talk to you. Uh, we have a lot in common. We have a lot in common. I, too, am a rock and roll singer. Um, okay. I, too, I, I know how to do my thing on stage as well. Uh, also, I've, I've, you know, being a, a involved in wrestling as well. So that's two things. So that's why I say we have a lot in common, because those are the two things that I'm all about. Um, as far as wrestling is concerned, though, were you a wrestling fan growing up? I, my family was, and I would go to them. I didn't quite understand how awesome it was growing up. I liked it, but I wasn't a fanatic. It was just something that my grandmother and I did together. I would sit in her lap and we would, we would watch the matches. And then I was from uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, where there's a lot of really great people coming out of, you know, Jesse Ventura and the Ganyas. And so there was a lot of local events that would be on TV as well. So I got to get a good taste of that growing up, but I wasn't like, I want to be in wrestling or this is my passion. It was just something that I did to connect with my family. That's oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, but I know what your your true love is. Your your first love was music. Uh, I want to know who were some of the first musicians or artists that uh, you were a fan of as a young lady. Well, I I would say too that I'm an I'm my true love is an entertainer. So okay, that could be music. It could be wrestling. It could be theater. It could be everything. I like to entertain people and make them feel good for the time that they're there at that event. And growing up, you know, I was again, Minneapolis, Minnesota. So um, the same high school that I went to for a while, the same neighborhood, I lived three doors down from like, you know, Prince was very big with me growing up, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, the family, the time, all those people R&B based were in Minneapolis. So my first record deal was you know more in the r&b uh rap world that's that's what i was was doing and then it, it shifted into rock later on so you know everybody with the minneapolis sound is very influential with how i do things or anything from administrative to marketing it's just a, it was a different uh a different culture back then i wish that we had more of that and i wish we could still paper the town now you get fined if you put up a poster or ad or something like that it was just same with Los Angeles when I moved out there and I was older but you know in my younger days I would have been a little tiny kid just with all the hair metal bands running around papering (laughs) the town doing the grind like there's just something missing these days social media is great but there's nothing like good old-fashioned pound on the pavement connecting with people belly button to belly button, as they say, and, and going in there and paying your dues. It's just, it's a different vibe and I miss it. Yeah. It's uh, it certainly seems like it's a lost art that, that charm of, 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 yeah. of doing that, you know, now people, uh, they form a band, they make a Facebook fan page and then yeah. they buy likes. So it looks yeah. like they've got 3000 fans or whatever. So then promoters might book them over your band and they will play the set and no one will be there to see them because no one actually knows who they are. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember we, uh, my band, we played a gig with a band that had 20,000 Facebook likes and I was like, Oh my hey. God, this is going to be a huge one for us. We're going to get to s- no one there. Absolutely. The no one. So yeah. 
that's not paying you. It's a shortcut, but the shortcut doesn't work. So why do it? Um, <laughs> so uh, you're doing your thing. I found it fascinating that you uh, had opened for Pink uh, in the early stage of your career. Uh, what was that experience like? Uh, mayhem. You know, that uh, that particular show, a lot of things went wrong. Technically, it was really, really huge. And the PA went out. You had to improvise. You had no way to sing or talk to the crowd. So it was a lot of big hand motions like, like I did in wrestling. I'm trying to think if when I opened for her, I was already in wrestling or not. I'm going to think. I think that was before. God, I can't tell. I think it was before wrestling that I actually did that. So, you know, I had some theater experience of just acting like a clown, but it sucked having everything bag out on you. You just, when I um, was training with my record deal, they specifically would do things to screw up your set or take away your mic or break your guitar, or all of a sudden this isn't working. Like every day there was something new that was done to me to say, this is going to happen out in the real world. Like, how would you deal with this? So, I mean, I had like the most brutal extensive training with my record deals just because of where I was and the people that were training me, it was pretty hardcore. So I was ready for that day, but it's still weird in front of like 20,000 people and all of your stuff goes out and you're kind of hoping in the back of your mind that pink sees you and maybe wants to ask you like on a permanent tour or extended tour or something like that. And then like everything on stage is a pile of shit. So it was an interesting experience. We've opened for so many awesome people and headlining is great that's a lot of pressure it's almost like it's more fun to open for people because the expectations are so low and then when you fall <laughs> away then it's like it's up to the headliner to to keep up with you so we've done a lot of really great shows over the years yeah no i, I always love that playing earlier in the evening and making it more difficult for everyone later on um you got it that's <laughs> what you got to do um and i do remember one time we played uh we opened for a band that was you know a lot more well known than us and surprisingly, during our set, the sound guy was wasn't even in the room. He had gone outside oh. to check the decibel levels, and um, so no one could hear me, and I couldn't hear myself. And I was telling him from the stage, "I can't hear myself, bro." And he wasn't there the whole time. So that's strange, isn't it? You're usually, uh, I was doing something else other than checking <laughs> decibels, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, so speaking about difficulties, uh, what is the hardest thing about being in a band? hardest thing about being in a band is keeping people together. Um, it's very difficult to find people that are on an equal talent level as you or experience level as you. And even if they aren't in experience or talent, of course, you can still make things work, but just so many different personalities. And then people have habits or things that you find out after you hire them that aren't going to work. Um, there's just a lot of things like we're pretty clean cut band and when people come in with different habits that becomes the focus of their time and not learning material or wanting to write or promote or market that's really hard or jealousy comes into play a lot uh, I probably won't work with any more females I've just had nothing but I've really just had a hundred percent bad experience working with chicks and I'm, I hate saying that because I'm a woman and I want to give everybody a chance but like mm. when when every single time you do, they just start getting jealous or think that it should be all about them. When the name of the band is Goldilocks and I'm constantly including <laughs> everyone in every photo, every interview, everything, you know, you asked me on this. Otherwise, if it was more music related, 
not wrestling based, I would have invited them. Like it's always an equal team based project and you get some of these people in here, especially the chicks. And they think that it should be all about them, not even shared or they, they're a piece of the pie or the puzzle. It should be them headlining themselves. And okay. That's great. Like we always try to encourage people developing their personal brand within the brand. Mm-hmm. So at the merch table, we've got, you know, our guitarist selling her albums or our drummer selling his shirts or swag or merch. Like I'm all about that. You won't find somebody that pushes that any more than I possibly could, but you still, you give an inch, they take a mile and they're never satisfied or happy. So just wish I would have had better experience with, with the girls, but man, they just get brutal. So the hardest thing about being in a band is just keeping the peace with everyone and you really do learn to keep the peace because when you're in a relationship, husband, partner, whatever, you know, that's that one person that you got to satisfy when you're in a band, it's three, four or five. And when you don't want to go to that restaurant, but somebody else does, and you can see that's their favorite, then you concise and you just compromise and sure, let's go there, even though you didn't want to, you know, and you'd never tell them that you just want to make everybody happy, keep everything good and flowing and going. Yeah, I, I get you. I just, yeah, I agree too. It's, it's, uh, the personalities and trying to keep everything working and keep everything together and things can happen where things are misconstrued and no one will bring it up until four or five other things have happened. And then they bring up everything at once and it's been bottling up and it makes things even worse than what they probably weren't even bad in the first place. Happened to me twice. Now my band uh, is now like on the shelf again, because uh, three members have now left again because it's just, don't have anyone with the commitment level that is necessary for something like this. Um, Oh, totally get it. I totally get it. And you know, you do pay people. I do. And I pay well, but even when you're paying people, well, that still isn't, they're going to be committed whether you're paying them or not. Just like what you mentioned earlier, like you said, I can't believe people get paid to do these. Well, a lot of people do depending on your marquee value at the time. A lot of people that I know Mm. get for, for podcasts and whatnot, but a lot of people don't. And some of the real high marquee people won't ask you for money. And they're the kind of people that they already have that commitment level. They're going to be there rain or shine. You know, you can, you can tell a lot about somebody up front with how they're going to be. I'm a really good judge of character now. So when I see somebody coming around the bend, I can usually smell out just how they're going to be. And then people are like, Oh, you should give them a chance. And I'm like, I'm, I'm done with, I'm done with chances. You know, I'm as old as I am. I've been doing this since I was a kid, since I was eight. I've been in entertainment Well, three actually, but working at five and touring at eight, you just, you just know, like you, you, I'm a solid judge of character. You can just tell by somebody's actions, this looks, feels, and smells like this other asshole. I'm not even going to go down that, <laughs> that road. Yeah. Um, so on the other side of the coin, I want to know what is the most rewarding experience you've had over all these years uh, as a performer? I would say just people that come to the shows that you impact them in some positive way that you didn't even think it was any big deal, but then you find out at a later time that something really meant a lot to them or they met their husband at the show or you got engaged or we've had many times when people have just, you know, on a break said, I'm going to propose like, can I, you know, just really magical things. Um, some people that are disabled or maybe that were thinking of taking their own life decided not to that night because they were, inspired in some way by a song or reminiscent of a cover or something that we wrote just finding out 
I think during the COVID, we had like this really cool group of hot, sexy Indian guys come in and I was just giving them a hard time. And, and I, I kept asking like, what do you do? What do you do? And the guy was like, I'm in tech. And I was like, oh, okay. You're in tech. Surprisingly enough, you know, and I was joking. And then I kept calling out to these guys and I'm like the tech guys. And this one guy comes up and he's like, I am not a tech guy. I am a brain surgeon. I'm like, oh shit. Like they weren't <laughs> tech guys. They were all like massive surgeons in the area. And I was like, well, you guys said you were tech guys. I just <laughs> went with voice. I wasn't stereotyping you, but it was interesting because like, here are these, it was like a huge group of them too. Like they all packed in the, the club and here are these guys with these just like over the top brains and talent. And they were gushing over us like, Oh, it's so good to be out. And they, Cause there was COVID and like, this club opened up and they weren't supposed to be opened up, but they got a chance to like unplug from like the massive stress that they're under during this pandemic. And with what they see with neurosurgeon neurosurgeries and can't get it right, Goldie, just all, all the stuff that stresses them out. They were looking forward to just coming and like letting loose, letting their hair down with us. And I'm just think I'm thinking after I knew they were all not just doctors, but like, you know, minute you know, artery yeah. surgeons, you know, and I'm thinking like, here's me jumping up around on stage, like some freaking monkey, like what's <laughs> my life consist of or amount to. And you think about those things when you're on stage and then here they're thinking like, thank God we get to get out for a minute and like not think about a hospital or dying patients or so I felt important for a minute. Like maybe the things that I do do matter. That was pretty cool. That, that's a high. That's awesome. That's also and also props to you on your Indian accent. I thought that was great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love Indian people. I think they have the best. I think Indian and most of Asians have the best sense of humor. Like if they can even speak English, which is huge because a lot of those guys, a lot of those dialects are like, it's not like Spanish or, or French. It's like, it's hard. Their stuff is really hard. And then if they can get English down enough to even have a conversation, but then get our humor sarcasm dry humor i just i love all of those cultures i just i gravitate towards them yeah i i know i know you're talking about that i mean they, they, they don't just have the one language too they have yes. languages within the languages yes yeah or they speak other for other like romantic languages or it's like they usually don't just speak one it's usually like five or six yeah. and then Here's us in the States, just like, yeah, forget it. <laughs> um, so through my research, uh, I've seen that you, you, you've opened for such bands as Saliva, Seven Dust, Nickelback, Three Doors Down, Puddle of Mud, Stevie Nicks, uh, Brett Michaels Band, Pat Benatar, Ted Nugent, uh, Maroon 5, Everclear, Powerman 5000, Grand Funk Railroad. I can keep going on and on, but that is a whole heap of, uh, whole heap of great bands to... Uh, to yep. tick off the list there. Any Always stories of any of those people and, and working with them? Or, or you know, everybody, everybody just kind of does their own thing and they usually have crazy demands. And I guess the stories that I tell is when they're long gone and clear and getting on their bus or going to the airport, we usually crash their, their dressing room. Like that's the favorite thing for our band to do is to see what we can go pilfer from once the trailer is empty or we get the, coast is clear <laughs> look, you know, we just go stuff, a bunch of stuff down our pants or i usually wear a big skirt so i've got more room in the abdomen area to pack it full of you know herbal teas or what did i get from marilyn manson had like all this wacky stuff in his room like really nice 
cosmetic cleaner. Like you'd never buy like a $30 <laughs> bottle of eye makeup remover. You get some, you know, oil or whatever, baby oil, olive oil. Um, he had all of these expensive like Mac cosmetic wipes and wow. he had exotic organic, some sort of gummy bears that I, just things like I, I enjoy stealing from the major <laughs> national acts more than even opening for them. It's just all about what I can do. <laughs> end of it for me you know? i i would do the exact same thing i'm telling you right oh it's so much fun um <laughs> rick springfield whenever we open for him he's always got this certain brand of peanut butter and i look off because i still have some up in my cupboard and you know i can eat that and say like <laughs> i stole this from rick springfield <laughs> uh, pat benatar has a lot of really interesting requests that you know she's a superstar she can get what she wants but just yeah i bring my own shit to the party i don't need anybody to go out and do extra stuff for me. I'm just pretty simple. And a lot of the stuff goes to waste too, which really bothers yeah. me. That's where I go steal it all. Exactly. It can't go to waste. It can't. Um, uh, another question before I start talking about wrestling, uh, I want to know about weird fan or patron interactions when you've been playing at clubs. You've got to have a story. People are weird, especially when they've got alcohol in their system. Always. I mean, that's every show. So I guess the classic story I like to tell is in Valdesta, Georgia, when I had some guy like backing up to the stage. I was on a catwalk. It's like high up four or five feet off the ground. And it was a big catwalk that extended from the band and the stage. And like this guy was just backing up to me. So I kind of popped a squat and I was singing. And then all of a sudden they weren't backing up to me. It was the front of their face and their hair was over their face and they opened their face opened the hair so I could see their face, grabbed my legs and like proceeded to bite my vagina. Like that what was the, the really fuck? Yeah, seriously, like bit down on my junk, like locked it, penetrated the skin, teeth marks permanent, had to go to ER, get a tetanus shot, get stitches. It was just the weirdest thing ever. And I have to explain like if I'm, you know, groomed down there, like what is, here's a great story for you. It's a great icebreaker on a first not date but first time that you're <laughs> busy it's like well let me tell you about this time in Valdosta, georgia when somebody bit down on my badge but um <laughs> best story is i did we did a wedding for uh, a private event during the covid we snuck out and did a wedding and some guy had driven in you know and he was tired and where would you drive from and he's like oh i'm in georgia and what do you do well i'm a i'm a fire fire uh fireman but i do you know, uh, police emergency work and all, you know, all this other stuff that he does to EMT kind of wears a lot of hats. And I, I said, man, where in Georgia? And he said, oh, Valdesta, Jordan. I'm like, you wouldn't happen to remember this place called, you know, rock and rodeo. He's like, remember, he's like, turns out he was like one of the guys that helped me that night. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> it's just creepy. I'm like, you've seen me, sir. And he was like, oh my God, that was you. He's like, I remember how bad they ripped up your, I'm like, yes. So all of these years later, and that must've been like 2004, you know, Holy so shit. crazy stories just, I mean, and people come up to you when they're drunk, even when they're not drunk, like this last weekend. And I told this story on Patreon. And if you're listening, jump over to our Patreon slash Goldilocks with a Y. We've got a really awesome Patreon. That's a lot different than some of the other peoples that are out there, but I was cut in a promo last night just because of how bad the show was on Friday night and what really happened. And some wrestling people that were there and they were really mean 
um, Carl, just mean, mean spirited, drunk, again, women attacking me all night long, following me into the restroom, climbing up on the toilet, looking over the stall, badgering me. I'm like, can I just pee in peace, please? And they would not leave me alone, saying the meanest, most cruel things. And then at the end of the night, I was ready to just beat the crap out of somebody. But instead, I ended up laying down on the ground and just crying, covering my face. I was just like, that was my only escape to get away from them. Right. Fucking hell. People are no, assholes. It's crazy. Like if I lay down on the ground crying, that's a good thing. Because if I wasn't doing that, I would be literally beating your ass. And like this woman, I went up to her and I'm like, 12 times she kept asking me like an unpleasant question. And I just said, what if, what if I asked you a question like that? What if I asked you how much you weigh? What if we talked about your weight? You know, how would that make you feel? Would that make you feel good and empowered? It's like, she didn't even hear me. She just went right back to like belittling me and saying cruel stuff. I was just like, you're a piece of shit. Get away from me. Went over on the ground. She came and got in my face and I just like laid down, covered my face with a hoodie. And like one of my bandmates was just like, get out of here. Like, <laughs> yeah there's nowhere to go at clubs you know the bigger places you've got a dressing room you got a place to escape to but the clubs were there's a lot of magic that happens at clubs but there's nowhere to go either yeah people yeah people are assholes man Um, yeah they can't (laughs) uh so i wanted to ask you about you know i'm sure you've been asked all these questions about tna many many times you you, you do okay cool (laughs) new people nope it's always something new okay excellent well um TNA, it, it, it comes a knocking. Someone sees you performing. They like the cut of your jib and they, uh, I don't even know what that saying means, but anyway, uh, <laughs> they like how you, you, you perform. Obviously they found you very entertaining. I don't know who that is. Maybe you can enlighten me, but yeah. how do you first find out that, okay, a wrestling company wants you to be a part of their show and, and, and to interview people on the show? So per usual, the Oz behind the curtain is not at all how you set that up so beautifully. Wouldn't that be amazing if that's <laughs> the case? If somebody saw my talent and that's how it worked, but that wasn't oh, right. the case at all. So okay. usually in entertainment for people that are getting somewhere or getting that break, it's who you know and who you blow. So I was with a very powerful record label and they had a very powerful entertainment lawyer that entertainment lawyer was the Jarrett's entertainment lawyer that was helping start up the TNA impact promotion. So she held the purse strings and did the contracts and basically reached out to me and just said, would you be interested in joining this in some fashion? They are looking for somebody to do backstage interviews who has no wrestling prior experience. And of course I was in a really bad deal. It wasn't a bad deal. I just was all up in, dating like one of the people in the office and they were abusive and I wanted out. And I was just like, here's this wrestling that films in Nashville every week. And maybe this is a chance for me to get out of a bad situation. That's why I was looking at it. And even as I was trying to show them what I could do with my audition tape, which was a DVD, the guy that I was dating wouldn't even let me show them. He said it wasn't good enough. It wasn't polished enough. Nothing. If if it wasn't just completely overproduced, which he, that rubbed off on me in a good way. I produce great content, but there's something to be said for a time and a place. And this is what you have. And like, you give them what you have to get the audition. And he wouldn't let me. And finally, after like kicking me under the table on the sunset strip in Los Angeles, I slipped through the DVD and that was enough to get the Jared's attention. And then it was up to me to keep coming to Nashville. 
to Hendersonville, Tennessee, every chance that I could. I got on a plane, took a cab, no Uber, no Lyft back then, took a cab to their office and just kept showing up. And if you show up enough times, either they tell you to leave, they lock the doors, they call the police or they hire you. So luckily it was the latter. All right. Well, again, Wikipedia strikes again. Uh, I've been editing a lot of people's articles after interviewing them because things just aren't correct on there, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, I I read that it was because someone saw you perform and and that you were just offered the job. So. But that's a great story. That's a great story. Like, leave it. You know, it's way better than what I just said, and that makes for a better interview when people can actually find out what really happened. Yeah. Fair enough. That's cool. Uh, so you're you're hustling. You 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 finally get your foot in the door with TNA. Um, tell me about your first day on the job. First day on the job was Brian Christopher being completely inappropriate with me, having me wonder, is this what it's going to be like? Um, Interesting enough, like funny guy, just a whirlwind of women looking at you and some of them not being very nice to me at the first one. Or I was like, is this how people talk to people? I guess they do in the wrestling business. A lot of shock, a lot of fear. Nobody helped me out. They just threw me into it and said, do it. And I do what I'd never done it before. And they just assumed that you could just figure out going out in front of millions of people on a live pay-per-view and get it right. So when people are hard on me and say that I sucked or I didn't, well, I mean, I did in some way, shape or form, but, but I figured it out pretty quickly and had my own quirky sense of interviewing and they changed the script with language I'd never heard before. I wasn't, I didn't like, I remember things like tag title champion, this, that, this, and then they change it. Like I just get the cadence down and the flow and they'd, they'd change what I was talking about or they'd, they'd alter the details or something got, I'd get it down and I'd sit there and I'd study it. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's all different. So it was very um, terrifying, scary. And then you wondered if you'd keep your job or not. Um, there's a few people that came forward and helped me. Vince Russo, when he came in, was wonderful to me. Obviously we're still friends still on his brand on Goldie's Closet, Realm Network. Um, who else helped me? Jeremy Borash helped me a little bit. He was busy doing his own thing. So a couple people did help, but for the first day on the job was super scary because I had no idea what to expect or what I was even doing and no help. Yeah, it's, it's that thing that I've always, I've always heard Vince Russo say this, uh, it's the wrestling bubble. And you, you're from outside of the wrestling world. You're coming in. So it must be just like bizarro world for you walking in there and seeing the way that everyone acts. And maybe because they haven't heard of you before and you haven't been a part of wrestling before, why are you here uh, and not someone else who's been in the business beforehand? Did you, did yeah. you immediately find out, okay, uh, this is the bubble. They're in a bubble here and I, I've got to learn how to. Uh... I, it was, nobody was like rude to me. The guys were never rude to me. And most of the girls were amazing to me. It was only a few. Um, and then they had their own problems. Like I remember Jasmine St. Clair was on one of the very, I think it was the first one. And like her claim to fame is like a big gang bang with, you know, she's a porn star and yeah. But people were just being so um, rude to her behind her back and like saying such awful things. And I just said, you know, maybe she did all that stuff and maybe she still does. But like, can we just talk about her in a more positive way behind her back? Like I was already standing up for people when she could care less probably who I was or what I thought of her. But like, I just thought as another human being, like, we don't talk about people like that or make 
make those kind of jokes. I mean, the stuff that went on at TNA was, it was so wild, wild west, like that stuff would never fly at all. Like even their storylines and everything, as far as being PC, nothing would fly. Like the stuff that was said to me, I didn't, I mean, it was just like, I was in a locker room with a bunch of guys. Oh, and it wasn't even the guys. It was like, sometimes the office that was a little, you know, suspect, but like, I, I knew what I signed up for, you know, I wasn't like signing up to be a librarian, you know, at the, you know, children's whatever it was, I was signing up to be in the world of pro wrestling. So you just sort of like take it as it comes along and not make too big a deal out of it. Yeah. What did your family think of you now being in wrestling? My mom was terminally ill then and not well. And I mean, my, I lived in LA, like they didn't really know what I did and they didn't watch pay-per-view. I think yeah. my dad's just starting to figure out now, like what I did, what not I right. do now. You know, <laughs> he's on my podcast from time to time. Just interesting. Like I, I was pretty far removed from people knowing what exactly that I did. I think my friends thought it was cool. I didn't even really know what I was doing. I just was on this like <laughs> huge show that would be like, a pioneer for its time and I'm just like running around wondering where I'm going to get my nails done next you know just my head was up my ass back then so badly <laughs> um who did you become friends with first once you uh joined TNA Mortimer Plumtree Elix Skipper Christopher Daniels um James Storm still talk to him he was in our video look it up all to you James is the star of that video it's a suicide prevention PSA um, it's on Vince's YouTube channel it's on debuted premiered on his network, which was really cool. Um, Alan Funk is still somebody that I talk to like almost a daily basis. Uh, Lenny Lane was from Minnesota. <laughs> Lenny Lane actually helped me move, you know, like when I moved from Minnesota permanently to Nashville. Um, I met Bret Hart early on at an event uh, we were friends for a while, just, you know, corresponding, um, after his stroke, he didn't talk to a lot of people, but we hit it off and we're friends. Um, Trinity, one of them still talk to her today. Fantastic athlete, incredible woman, badass, like nothing that she did wasn't just perfect. And she always stuck, stood up for me and was the first person to like promote band stuff or music stuff. She had a lot of the entrance music that I already had already written and she adapted, adopted it and used it. And then I ended up writing some just specifically for her. So, I mean, those are some people that were, that, that were great to me. Oh, that's awesome. We've had Alan and uh, Lenny on the show as well. And yep, yeah, two stand-up guys. Love them. They're just so funny. Like they're just great. Anytime time you can get either one of those guys, Alan is just hysterical. So yeah. get him. He's a great guest. Yeah. No, I um, he, I think he was our third guest we ever had, and Are you I rewatched. Serious? Yeah, I rewatched uh, it recently, and I was just like, man, he's such a great guy. And I just had to go on my Instagram and message him and just be like, I just want to tell you, man, you're an awesome guy. You just need to just hear that. You know, I hope this finds you well or whatever. He I is. Think. He was in our. He was in our all two video as well. It was um, Chase Stevens. Still talk to him. He's a crazy guy. The Hot Shots. Cassidy Riley was just on the show. Just had Crowbar on the show. Our show. Um, slash Wolfie D oh, on cool. the show. Yeah. Um, Air Paris was on. I, I got to be friends with AJ right away. Um, I don't talk to him like on a regular basis, but if I ever reach out, he's real cool. You know, I mean, that guy is just like, can you imagine what his world is like? And then having all those kids and he's married. Yeah. And, that's a he's got a lot on his plate 
Oh, that's cool. You're getting some great guests on your show. We also have Wolfie D on the show as well. Um, I love it. Yeah, another great guy. Uh, so uh, from there, uh, this is who you became friends with. Was there anyone in particular that was a bit of a jerk to you? Um, yeah, I mean, but like you said early on in the show, like I don't really get into all that. I think publicly people know that Alex Shelley, I guess, just hated my guts or something. I didn't even know when I was there and I managed him forever, had no clue. You know, I just did my job. And if somebody's got a beef with you, there's nothing you can really do. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's somebody that's got a beef with like how you do things, there's definitely something where, you know, I remember uh, Eric Watts was real cool to me and he's like, you know, we need to work on this. And I was like, oh, well, okay, what do you mean? Like he just handled it so nicely and approached me in such a good way that made me think, oh, I want to improve. You know, you're doing this really good, but if you just did this, it would be a little bit better or it would be this or that. I'm like, oh, well, tell me more. What do you mean? And okay, well, we're going to try this. And it's like, he took me under his wing and helped me out. Another person, Jerry Lynn, I still talk to him, um, you know, doing his thing. Great, great friends with a lot of people in production. Still talk to them to this day. You know, if you got a beef with somebody and it's something that maybe you can do to help them, then that's your responsibility. That's on you to yeah. come in and say what you can or help where you can. But I think it's just like a low cowardly move to just talk shit and then not, you know, yeah. do anything about it. Like if that's somebody's it. a problem, like help them be better. That's it. hundred um, percent. Vince Russo. I've, I've been a subscriber of his since uh, even before it was called the brand when it was called Pyro and Ballyhoo. Um, do you have any, what's your fondest memory of, of working with Vince Russo? Um, another story that I tell a lot is the day that I had my beautiful Persian cat, um, Quichette was at a boarding place and I guess they were trying to get a hold of me, you know, on my old singular click phone, flip phone, whatever, let me know that the cat wasn't doing well and they needed to be authorized to take it to the emergency room while I was doing a pay-per-view and I didn't get back to them until the end of the day when it was too late and the cat died. I I felt so badly that I was so about myself running around like this big, important TV personality that I, I didn't make time for like my family member, my little, my little puss and, um, and the cat died and it was my pride and joy. And I just remember like sobbing and being on the floor and like one of the TNA asylum back office rooms or something. And like, Vince was on one knee, you know, like with his hand on my back, you know, just like calming me down. And I think he was going to fix it by, we're going to go to Hooters. Come on guys, let's take her to Hooters. And, you know, I was like, we're going to go to Hooters. Like that was Vince's way of like fixing everything. Like we're going to go out and come on, no more crying. We'll take you to Hooters. So um, (laughs) he had me come to his house, maybe like six months or a year later in Georgia. And, um, I stayed with Amy and his wife and their kids, Annie and Will. And, um, Annie was my cat's name. Now that just passed another dead cat. I'm a cat killer. So I got to meet his family and hang out and we wrote all kinds of content for kind of like another show, like before he started doing his brand or the other one that you mentioned, like he had already had his site set for content and creating and you know, I was like a wild card that would do crazy stuff, look decent. So we wrote a bunch of stuff and that particular show or pilot never went anywhere. But like, I remember, 
you know, bonding with Vince. And then Vince started giving me a lot of cam- camera time after that. And that's what ultimately led to my demise of TNA was one boy in the back particular didn't, didn't like that. He didn't like that. I was getting so much camera time and just couldn't wait to see me go. And I was getting a lot of camera time. Like Vince was running and airing stuff. I was like, what is this? This has nothing to do with wrestling or really sports entertainment. It's just like, you're giving me time. And a lot of those guys just didn't, they didn't get it and they didn't like it. Vince saw something different. You know, it was something different than just tits and ass. It was like angles and somebody that could act and like go nuts and be crazy and think of weird shit. And again, like everybody doesn't like that. So. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to get into some of the stuff that you did, especially when you became more of a character after the interviewing stuff. There's a lot I want to say about it because I was watching some of it earlier and yeah, it's great. Uh, there's a situation where you're attacked by Desire, I believe her in-ring name was, and you got a concussion. Is that right? Yeah, it was bad. There oh, was like a gosh. curtain. It meant no harm. Like she just grabbed me and like she meant to push me into the curtain, but there was a brick wall, like a cinder cement wall behind that. And I just remember like hitting it going like, oh my God, what just happened to me? And then it's like, I couldn't see and it went dark. And then another, and then she came down and was like, really hardcore like that girl had a punch to her she she was legit she was shaking me and i just was like i i don't know where i am like and then athena came in to rescue me thank god because i was like blacked out and throwing up blood soon and like it was oh, just a bad shit. night a lot of bad nights like that for a lot of people and you'd never <laughs> see all that stuff but like i mean wrestlers go through a lot of really hardcore injuries and sometimes they tend to them and sometimes they just go to hooters you know, it's like that. Awesome. This is great. We're still friends all these years later and that we're working together on the same network. It's just, it's really cool. That's the biggest honor to me. And the biggest win out of the whole business is the friendships that you keep or that I can call up AJ or Jerry Lynn or somebody, or I can say, Alan, James Storm, do you want to be in, you know, my video? And then another video, if people made it this long into your stream is uh, me, myself, and I, it's on our Goldilocks band channel. And that one is Eric Young. Cause Eric used to just joke with me all the time. Like, do you want to make out? I'm like, no, Eric, you have a girlfriend. <laughs> do you want to, do we go make out? And I'm like, no, you've got a wife. You know, it was always like <laughs> going on. And he's like, yeah, well, if you ever want to make out, I'm just like, dude, come on, you know, you're my friend. And then like all these years later, I was like, all right, we're going to do this angle. I need a love interest. Like who do I, I'm not dating anybody. Like who is cool that I could have to make out with during this scene and (laughs) creep out on. So I was like, Hey bro, what's going on? He's like, Hey Goldie, how can I help? I'm like, well, as a matter of fact, I know you're married now, but do you think your wife would let me make out with you? And he's like, let's practice now. I was like, no, I'll see you the day of the shoot. He shows up at like 4.30 in the morning. It's seven degrees out. He's from Canada. He can handle it. Freezing. We kept shooting the scene. We're basically like, get out of the car and just start making out. That was it. He was like, this was the best shoot ever. So (laughs) it was so professional and so great. But it's really fun to see that video, me, myself, and I. And then the guy that wrote the song, um, I flew him out from LA because he wrote it, played bass in it, and produced it. And I'm like, you have to be in the video. So like, He's coming out of this like big mansion that we rented for the day as my real boyfriend, like seeing me and Eric, like making out on the back of the Corvette or whatever. And like, so he comes out and he's like, got this like cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And he's like, well, he couldn't stop laughing. I'm like, dude, this is supposed to be a serious scene. I'm like, 
was so hard editing around that because he was laughing every time when I'm like <laughs> getting in the face and like we're cutting a wrestling promo on it. He couldn't handle it. He just started laughing. I'm like, would you stop laughing? This must be a serious scene. So like, there's so many times during the video where Eric is making people laugh and I'm making people laugh. And like, it's supposed to be a straight, a straight shoot and it's not. So good times, Eric, all those guys, um, Bobby Roode. So I'm really friends with pretty much most of the people that I worked with, except for a couple of duds. The rest of them, I'm, I'm all on good terms. That's cool. And, and I hope that the, uh, the kiss that you've been asking for for so many years was good in the end. Uh, I don't even remember it. It's kind of funny. It's probably it too cold to remember it. He kept taking his jacket off because I was in like this little, just freezing my ass off. So cold. And um, he was such a gentleman. And I just remember like, who even, I don't remember that day. It was just all a blur. You know, I hope I didn't like taste like shit after all these years. He was like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> And awesome. onions the night before and stunk nose. <laughs> um, speaking of, uh, you know, outtakes and stuff like that, bring it back to TNA. Do you have any uh, stories of, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to record these pre-tapes? Uh, I don't know if it, you do did them because I know it was a lot of live pay-per-view stuff, but do you have any funny uh, moments where somebody messed up a line or or anything like that? Working with the Dups, it was just always a bunch of like, what is this? Like improvised things where like a lot of that stuff that you saw my reactions was like, that was a shoot. That was real stuff. <laughs> like I, I was so like that puppet in the trash can gimmick was Vince's um, right. And I was so out of it back then that I didn't know he was masturbating in a, in a trash can. I just thought he was in there. I didn't, I didn't, I was, they put a midget in the, small person, little person in a, in a trash can. I didn't realize, like, I think I would have been even more disgusted had I had known what he was really doing. So, I mean, there wasn't like bad outtakes. There was just like real crazy stuff going on all the time. And then I used to ride in Orlando from the hotel to the airport with Puppet, who recently passed, God rest his soul. Um, but he was always like trying to act like he was really tired and put his arm around me and grab my, my tits. You know, I'm <laughs> would you stop? Like, dude, you know, he's like, Oh, I didn't know I'm tired. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> it's like crazy <laughs> stuff like that. Like always people like doing their best to take a shot, you know, when it's not happening. So yeah. Right. That's very weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you have any cool stories, fun stories of hitting the bars after the shows? I'm sure when the guys are letting off some steam afterward, there can be some, uh, uh, you know, interesting things that take place. Yeah. I stopped going sometimes because I mean, letting off steam is the understatement. Like they were basically looking for a fight. Everybody wanted to fight. Um, Kurt Hennig was a really dear friend. He actually was training me kind of secretly. We would do moves. I would meet up with him at his hotel, not in a creepy way, no. um, showing me everything that he could if there was ever time in the ring that we could go back, like after the show, they usually struck it, but then they would leave it up sometimes and we would work together and he would show me some things. Um, but at the bars afterwards, like it was usually, he would do a thing where we would find the biggest asshole at the honky tonk. And then he and I would dance and he'd grab my hand and we'd do this like two-step thing. And then he would position my, me in the back of my hand in front of some jerk's face so that, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this little dance. One, two, three. And then he'd grab my hand and 
he'd be like this and he'd push it back onto somebody's face hard so that I was black and blue and my blood vessels would break. But that guy was on the floor and then that would start a brawl. And it usually ended up out on Broadway or second Avenue in Nashville with somebody's face getting hit by one of their boots on the ground. Or, I mean, the people could have been killed. So, and then just like other crazy things, you know, happening. I'm like, you know, the women were just throwing themselves all over everybody and so many hoes running around. Not that, I, you know, I haven't done hoey things in my life. I'm no perfect angel, but like some of that stuff got like hard for me to stomach, you know, when you had to like see their wife or girlfriend the next day, or I did bad stuff too. You know, I had somebody back home or, you know, it just, it got to be, it got to be a little thick. So <laughs> I stopped going and like, you know, Vince Russo to this day, I know like Jim Cornette gives him a lot of heat. People make fun of him for like not going out or not going to the center bar at the hotel. Like Vince usually just went back to his room. And I guess Crowbar after interviewing him did as well. And then some of the other guys would go out, show their face at the L house for a little while, and then go to the gym at the hotel and work out. That was, those are the guys that are all like doing really, really well right now. Those are the CM Punks or the Christopher Daniels or Elix was always like, I'll go eat, have a few, and then like, let's get back to training and look amazing. So I stopped kind of doing all that stuff once I saw like the damage that was happening. <laughs> There's just so much debauchery. Like I can't even go into details. It was like really bad. Oh my gosh. That sounds crazy. Yeah, Certainly not like that anymore. They're all playing video games backstage now. Um, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm sure there's people still doing all that stuff, but like, I mean, I really think like the drug use contributes to why their life expectancy is like 45 maybe 50 you can't you can't do that to your body you can't drink as much as all those guys do take the painkillers and then throw in some cocaine and other stuff like you just your body mm. can't do all that so i don't want to die so i quit going fair enough fair enough um so tell me a little bit about um finding out that you're not just going to be you're not going to be doing the interviewing anymore. You're going to now be a character on television uh, for TNA and you're being put with Eric Watts. Uh, how are you pitched this idea? Um, Eric made an on-camera comment that was live about leaving my shoe under his bed the night before. And I was like, what? Like, again, you, like you're like, what weird outtakes? Or it was like, it was all like live, you know, and I was just my right. face. What are you talking about? Like, he was like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, toots or yeah, babe, you know, you left your, your article of clothing at my house last night. I'll return it to you soon. And I was just like, I was really embarrassed because it was live TV. And then I guess the crowd went nuts and I came back to work the next week from LA. I was flying back and forth from Beverly Hills to Nashville. And they're like, you're going to be Eric Watts's girlfriend now. And I'm like, what? And like, that's <laughs> how it goes. Like, the, and a lot of times in live TV or wrestling or entertainment, they just like, you go with what the crowd wants. And then that's what I was doing. And I was excited to do that scared because I didn't know what I was doing. And then of course I get into the ring and Vince was so good about helping with all of that. Like he was fantastic. He's, he was great. He didn't have to, I mean, they can just like throw me to the wolves like they did when I first got there, but Vince did a really great job. Jerry Lynn did a really great job helping me. Um, Eric Watts did a great job helping me, you know, not just being my friend, but like giving me good advice. Elix gave me great advice. A lot, a lot of those guys took me under the wing, nothing creepy ever. Nobody ever did anything, uh, below the belt or crossing the line. They were great. Just great people. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, at, before that, you, you'd had your vagina bitten. So I think anything yeah, right? else after yeah, that. Yeah, uh... <laughs> I got It looks like some old person with like dentures got a hold of me or something and ripped me. <laughs> oh, it's so gross. <laughs> um, so there, uh, you know, and I think that's really interesting. Eric must have just been maybe clowning around a little bit and then it just ended up turning into an angle. So that's. Uh, yeah, I'm grateful. Really cool. It was cool. He, like he was wonderful to me. That's cool. Uh, I bet Vince saw it and was just like, bing, like the light bulb yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Somebody um, did. Absolutely. And uh, you, eventually you turn on Eric and you you go heel. Uh, and I have to say, I watched some of this stuff uh, earlier and I was just <laughs> laughing my ass off. You were so good at being dislikable. Thank uh, you. You were fantastic. And I laughed out loud, like really loudly when you um, turned and told Scott Hudson to shut up. I just, shut up, Scott. I just thought that was like gold. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. It usually comes with like the, the face clearing, like no matter how like fake I am, I'm like bring it back. Or if I'm really mean, I would bring it back to being, yeah. So I was step from my high school, like the whole yacht carpeting, you know, I was always talking about going to take all my money and buy a yacht carpeting and then asking Scott Hudson if he needed some hair. You want some? Do you want to buy you some hair, lovey? You know, it's just like horrible. Scott was on the podcast too. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. So Excellent. intelligent. So intelligent. Yeah, he's a person that uh, made me realize that this is what I should do. I should do podcasts because uh, I messaged him once and I was just like, "Hey, man, do you mind if I could just give you a call sometime and ask you really nerdy questions about WCW?" And we ended up talking for like four hours. And uh, afterward, he was like, "You, you really know your stuff. You, you could do this." And Lo and behold, now I'm doing it. So. That sounds exactly like Scott. So encouraging. So wonderful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as I was saying, you did such a good job. Uh, it, it, it seemed legit. You know, it, it didn't seem like someone was playing a part or pretending. It really came across just so, so solid on television. Um Yeah, obviously, uh, you, you work with Abyss. You work with Alex Shelley. I know maybe they for whatever reason, had something against you. But um, you're working with Eric as well, though, Sonny Siaki, uh, a bunch of other Sonny guys. Uh, yeah. That whole angle, tell me, you know, what was your, the most fun part about it and what was the part about it that you probably didn't like? You know, it, it's so sad because, like, my personal life back then was in such shambles and, like, somebody that I was dating was, like, really bad for me and toxic. And it's like, I look back at that time and I just think, I so wish, I so wish I'm going to go outside and who's ever got their freaking car pump, pump, pumping an interview, wrecking my interview. I actually can't hear it. I got a liquor store across the street. It's just like the <laughs> guest celebrities show up all day because I mean, it is 10 o'clock in the after morning, you know, and in Nashville, you better be drunk by noon. So <laughs> <Yeehaw. laughs> um, I wish I would have known and remembered more about just like what a great, atmosphere I was in and I was like so obsessed with like my personal stuff like I couldn't mm. wait to get offset and like check my phone and see if he texted or called or I mean it was just Carl it was just crap yeah. you know like that's what I was consumed with and not like these amazing talented people I mean if, if Alex Shelley didn't like me oh well it was still a great opportunity to work with somebody of that caliber he was talented he is talented you know um Abyss super talented I should have been writing more angles or, you know, coming up with more ideas and things like that. Like I, I, instead I was worried about like, I got to get off, I got to get off so I can check my phone and see if he caught, I was just like, I, I was in such a crappy 
spot back then. And I know that that had to trickle into my work and just my performance and how much better I could have been if I just wasn't so concerned with this asshole, you know, and that's basically yeah. what he was. It was just like human feces. Right. And when you're in that and you're in something abusive and toxic, you don't, you don't see it for what it is. And then like 19, 20 years later, I'm like, ah, I wish I could go back and like yeah. for every moment. Sonny Siaki was, he was always calling me goofy locks. Goofy. And then uh, Buff Bagwell was like, okay, goofy lick, Goldie lick, Goldie. And I'm like, no, it's locks, you know, like super dry. <laughs> but Siaki was always calling me goofy locks. And then I'm getting pissed at him and like, it's, it's, it's Goldie, you know, and like goofy Goldie, whatever. <laughs> and I, I would go back and like, you know, really play off of these guys. Cause again, if they loved or hated me, they were talented. And that's what at the end of the day, it's like, what's good for the show. What's yeah. Good for the it's a, it's a, it is a shame that um, you weren't able to uh, smell the roses and enjoy what was taking place. Cause you consumed with this crap that's going on on the side there. And you're obviously a creative person. So imagine that wasn't going on and with your creativity and you being all in on it, just imagine, you know, what else could have come from all of that, even though that what oh, we got was pretty good considering what was happening. Thank you. But yeah, I, I really go back in time and think I could have just, or I could have stayed at the company maybe, or, I mean, I got fired from everybody knows like a bis got me can for just lying and creating a rumor that wasn't true. So I don't know if I would have been able to do anything other than what happened to me, you know, like fate is what it is, but if, even if I did still get fired, I wish I could go back and do things better than the way that I did and, and be smelling the roses, like you said, more. I miss yeah. that. I understand. Um, so the, the angle comes to an end uh, with, with um, Eric Watts. Uh, you, you, you've been gaining all these people's contracts and... Um, <laughs> yeah, good times. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, it, it comes to an end... How soon after that is it was when you leave TNA? Oh, let's see. I mean, probably not that far after. I think they were waiting to just get done with that angle. And then right. I remember they were doing the green screens, calling everybody's name to come look at the camera, turn to camera, do your nod, cross your arms, you know, impact wrestling. Oh, you know, and I I just remember there was like two people left. Felt like back when I was in you know, grade school and they were picking us for dodgeball and I wasn't the best yeah. athlete. It was like me and the girl with fetal alcohol syndrome, like that couldn't even stand up without shaking. Like I was always like the last pick with her, you know, and I was always trying to protect her because people were so mean to her and picked on her. So I was having flashbacks to that. And then um, I was standing there just wondering like, what about, I heard somebody say, well, what about Goldilocks? And I remember David Sahadi, the producer at the time, like, I just remember like, turning around in like slow motion and seeing catching the end bit of him going like this and I just was like oh my god like oh no I felt it in my gut I was like like and I was like am I done like and I remember going I went to James Storm and I'm like James I just he's like holy everybody knows you're canned and I'm like what why am I the last to know he's like yeah I'm like I'm really gonna be fired what he's like yeah you know the rumors are that if you took a bad bump, you're going to sue the company. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I already had 50 million chances to sue the company over the last years. I've been here since day one. You don't think everything's gone perfectly. I've kept my mouth shut or I've taken the high road or, you know, protected my friends. And I went to Jeff Jarrett and he just, 
nicely but smugly just said we're too big of a company now and you're a liability and it's been said that i'm like i I never said that i i went to terry taylor and said that i'm opening for three doors down nickelback and puddle of mud and to be thrown off the top ring on the concrete might you know further disrupt my you know have a debilitated disc uh what's it called debilitated oh what's the word for it it's a back condition um I have it, but it's been a slip disc or a a debilitating back something like I I had bad news. It's been fixed. Knock on wood. I've rehabilitated myself with all the gym work that I've done PT. So I just said, I I, I don't want to do that. I'm going to, it's going to maybe paralyze me. And what, what else can I do? Could I take this bump? Could I take that bump? We, we help me. I mean, I, and I went to Abyss and all he said was, well, just lay there and be really limp and I'll do the work. And I'm like, well, I don't, flop or what, what do I do to get into your arms? Or I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, just do what I said, just relax and you won't get hurt. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand this. And I just went to go find clarification from Terry Taylor, wh- which turned into, I'm going to sue the company. And that's the first. So anyway, they let me go because I was a liability. And, you know, Jeff said, you know, the doors will, will always be open if things make sense for you to come back in the future. And then, you know, Jeff's looking for a job these days. So you know, things change, things morph, they pivot and shift into something else. And then funny thing is, is everybody in 2020 was looking for a job. If you were a wrestler, an artist, an entertainer, an independent contractor, pretty much a lot of people were out of work. Um, so, you know, things come around full circle, but I just wished I would have gone on a different note. Like it was very, like, basically that was it. Like, he's like, you're, you're fired, like pick up your stuff and go. And like I lost my record deal, like right after that. And IRS came after me and said that I owed uh, money, which I didn't, but I had no way of proving it. So might as well owe money to the IRS. And it was just like this perfect storm of like me completely like just losing my way. And then I went bankrupt. It wasn't until 2008, I think that I was discharged, but that was like a very dark period of my life where you live under the radar. You can't make cash or you have to make cash. You can't can't have a bank account. You can't have a credit card. You can't have a car. You can't have a house. Um, you're supposed to like live with somebody else. So you don't have a payment. And it's like, for a long time, I blamed abyss, you know, for a long time, I just blamed me getting fired and like it spiraling everything. And what did I do? But honestly, losing everything that you have falling flat on your face and hitting rock bottom is the best thing for anybody because it teaches you where you come from and humility and to appreciate and, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Horrible, dark time there. I'm surprised I even survived it. It was so bad, but, um, you wow. meet a lot of angels along the way that you wouldn't expect. I had a prostitute that took me under her wing and made sure that I had food every night in the low income housing that I was at and gave me, I think one of her pimps broken down Dukes of hazard cars, you know, to go to work and I cleaned houses. I scrubbed floors. I would look up and have people being kind of shitty to me and, as their kids are watching like the pay-per-view with me on it, you know, or reruns or something, or to me on TV from something else, like it was a really dark time, but it really puts things into perspective for you and it makes things like the COVID and the pandemic, like a piece of cake. Once you've been through something like that, like you really learn to appreciate what we all have and you learn to appreciate food. Like when people just throw out food or they, they don't want to take their leftovers home or whatever. Like I just go nuts. Cause I'm like, man, you haven't been hungry enough. You haven't, you haven't hit rock bottom yet. Yeah. I wish that for you. I, I hope that someday 
you do so that you really realize who your true friends are, who the, you know, and I mean, like I said, I ask all these guys to do all this podcasts and be in my videos and all that. And they, they just, they just, and they don't even want money for it. Like I think the last time we wrapped, we all went out to some dinner steakhouse or whatever. And like, I gave everybody money and they all gave it back. Every one of them, James, Chase, Alan, they all said, no, nah, we don't, we don't want it. Uh, Eric Young, like all these guys, they're stand-up guys. They may be a little shady in some areas, but, but they're good. They have good hearts. Oh, that's awesome. And thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, yeah, that was really long-winded. It. That's okay. But I really appreciate <laughs> the fact that you. Shut up, you dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I guess uh, I'll come to my final few questions here about your yes. TNA experience. Uh, what do you miss most about TNA? The people. I like just everything that I just got done saying, you know, just. Yeah characters and I wish I would have appreciated them more. Now it's like my podcast on Vince's network is like my redemption, my Tosh.0 redemption for myself. Please come on. Sorry that I was crappy to you. Like I was on a Zoom yesterday with um, Angelina Love and Velvet uh, Sky, you know, and I was just like, I'm sorry, Angelina. Like I was a cunt to you. Like I wasn't, I wasn't nice to her. I thought I was better than everybody else. She's like, oh, that was a long time ago. I'm like, no, it's like that. I was should have had my act together. Like I should have been nicer to you. So I miss not taking all the shots that I could have. That's what I miss the most about the wrestling business. Right. Uh, what don't you miss? I don't miss the toxic environment. I personally was in at that time. Other than that, there isn't anything about wrestling that I, that I don't miss. I had a great time. And if I wouldn't have been such a dipshit, I would have had an amazing time. So there isn't anything that I don't miss. Fair enough. Um, I love travel. I knew the brutal travel. I was like, this is an opportunity. I'm waking up at three 30 to go to get to the airport by five 30 to park and do my thing. And it was, it was grueling, dangerous. I was always by myself, a young chick walking with her suitcase, heavy stuff, pulling, trying to park as far away from the airport as I could to save money. I don't miss any of it. I would do it all again in a heartbeat. I was so grateful for that. Awesome. Uh, and as far as uh, music and entertainment is concerned, what aspirations do you still have in those areas? Um, still touring, still doing shows. Can't wait for the pandemic to be over so that we can go back to what we're doing, cross promote, build that with my personal brand, uh, the factory by goldilocks.com, all great, cool stuff on there. I would like to be like a rock and roll, Rachel Ray, Martha Stewart, showing people how to do things, giving great advice. I already do that on Patreon and just keep creating original content, music and music videos and get out there and tour in support of it. I think you can do that till you're a hundred years old because people that want to see you are going to get old too. So you just keep on moving along and bring their kids and their grandkids to it. We really have a great time performing as you know what that feels like to get up on stage and do that. So, you know, that's something that I don't ever want to end that I don't ever want to end, nor do I see it, but you have to have other ways of supplementing your income and building that brand so that you have, you know, retirement longevity and make some smart investment choices. Absolutely. Uh, Was there anything else you wanted to plug before we get to our little five second frenzy segment? I appreciate that. Just follow on social media, Instagram and Twitter is Goldie with a Y locks rocks, G O L D Y L O C K S rocks. Love you to just reference the show that you're watching and you and, and uh, go follow you and make sure that people are liking your content or sharing the 
the pods and the streams that you're doing. This is a lot of work. So, you know, make sure that you support Mr. Carl <laughs> in, his, in his jacket of technical colors or whatever. That's a reference of, I don't know, Joseph, he had a technical code of something. I don't remember. I'm not a big oh, Bible. The Technicolor dream coat. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> make sure you support him. And uh, yeah, Patreon, we've got a level as low as three bucks. It's like a crappy cup of coffee. It's not quite Starbucks grade. You know, we really appreciate the support because we're trying to put out some really fun original content. So come on over there. I promise that you would get a ton of love. Like we love on people every day and it's just a great environment. And Vince Russo's brand, you know, we're still there doing great shows. So if you're looking for some great content, check out uh, Vince's brand as well. Thank you for the plugs. No worries. Thank you very much. Uh, and so Five Second Frenzy has has come upon us here, Goldilocks, uh, wanting yeah. to learn about little things and, and, and things that your your favorite things in life, not just about wrestling, but okay. some of them are a little bit about wrestling. But here we no. go. Are you ready, Goldilocks? Five seconds. Ready. Let's go. Okay. Your favorite wrestler? Oh, I get five seconds to say that. Damn. Oh, okay. You, you, you won't get in trouble. Hold on. I got to think because there's, I mean, I know everybody. Favorite wrestler. I mean, I'd have to say Macho Man. I just think his promos are just like ridiculous. They're so good. I'd say Macho Man, Randy Savage. I dig it. Uh, your favorite book? The Secret. You've had that before? Yep. Yep. Uh, your favorite TV show? Uh, Seinfeld, The Simpsons. Um, Tracy Allman, Gary Shandling, like stuff like that. Those are my faves. Some good choices there. Uh, your yes. favorite film? Shawshank Redemption. Oh man, that movie made me cry. It made me cry when he finally got free. It, it's, uh, and that is such like, just even you saying that such a metaphor, like that's what I tell kids when I do school tours is just like, you know, the whole poster gimmick and the whole digging his way to freedom and the whole keeping calm. And when things are so bad and so dire that you do hope and that you do dream and that you never lose sight of your goal, but the whole chipping away at something every day, whether it's weight loss or muscle gain or a bad relationship or cleaning up your house or building a house or getting a different job. If you do a little bit every day to to something, to contribute to something, eventually you will be free or you will get your goal. And it's just like that movie is just like hardcore. When they, when that warden or the, whoever it was threw that rock at that poster when they couldn't find where, <laughs> yeah. where you go and it like went to this tunnel and you see him like premeditating, tying his wares in a plastic bag with a rope to his foot drag and, and just all of the, the thought process out when he's just like in a place for years where yeah. you can go mental and mad. It's like that movie, just the metaphor of it, it changed my life. And when people say that entertainment or music or movies, they can't make somebody do something or influence them. I'm like, you're freaking so wrong. Like my entire soundtrack to my life is all because of movies and what I saw as a kid, whether it be Mary Poppins jumping into a, a chalk painting and that that reality, that alter reality that she went into. And I wanted that. And I want and I'm, and I'm in wrestling and I'm in music. Like that impacted me as a little kid or the yeah. sound of music 
Maria Von Trapp. She was always leaving without saying goodbye, making this dramatic exit. Like <laughs> I still do that to this day or making your own clothes out of drapes because it was just how much cooler it was to have something. And then again, you're in wrestling, making custom gimmicks. And I made a lot of people don't know, like a lot of those ring jackets, I, I sewed and, ma and made those from scratch, you know, from uh, America's Most Wanted to Christopher Daniels to The Naturals to, I think I did some stuff for Eric Young. Like, you know, that all came from a movie. So movies are very powerful. So be careful what you pour into yourself or what you watch, what you feed yourself. As my mom used to always say, shit in is shit out. If you're watching <laughs> a bunch of shit and you're doing a bunch of shit, yeah. the content you're going to produce is basically shit. Next yeah. question. <laughs> I totally jive with that. Uh, yes. Your favorite musical artist? Prince. He was. Excellent. Excellent. Yep. I got to see him perform uh, two, I think two or three months before he passed away. So That's incredible. I, yeah, was, I was adamant. Got to go. I got to go. And you never know what will happen. And then, yep. Um, and he was incredible, by the way. Uh, favorite food? Shrimp. Allergic to it. Built up a tolerance. I don't have diarrhea anymore. Used to. <laughs> wow. It's a great pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Like any sort of uh, Benihana or like a Japanese steakhouse <laughs> that has shrimp where they pour lots of oil in it and then I'll shit my pants double time, twice fold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just one for torture. I love that. <laughs> I love steak and shrimp and vegetables and things like that. So Brilliant, brilliant. Like You'd fit in well over here in Australia, that's for sure. Really? Um, okay, good. Yeah. Uh, favorite alcoholic beverage? I don't drink. I am very oh. adamant about making sure people know that because there's some people that are on the fence that feel pressured to do so, especially in the States. Like we're just so like all American, you know, you're 21 now it's time to be an alcoholic. And I just always tell people, if you really enjoy your craft beers and your alcohol, good for you, do it in moderation, keep it under control. Don't drive drunk. But for the people that are just like, eh, I don't really think this is something for me, but they do it because they feel like that's what society wants. Yeah. I just always make sure that they know like, I've never drank and gotten plenty of dates and been popular and led a good life. And I've got two really great kidneys moving on. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, instead of alcoholic, just your favorite thing to drink. Uh, chai tea from Starbucks, seven pumps, no foam, no water and no room. And it's probably the most caloric beverage on the menu, most fat, most sugar, most carb, most unhealthy and it just tastes like liquid pumpkin pie, which reminds me of being a kid in good times with the family at Thanksgiving. So that is my favorite drink of all time is a chai tea. Great question. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, awesome. Uh, and uh, the second last one here for five second frenzy, your favorite male body part. Teeth, like their smile. Do they have any? If they don't, that's okay. Um, you know, I've got implants from a drunk driving accident. Yay, not mine. <laughs> um, but like, I like a guy's smile and a dude's hands, like take care of your hands. Like I, that's my favorite body part. And if, if any woman answers Dick, like, I just wonder, you're so lying. Like, <laughs> we, I don't think we're ever going to get that answer. I, uh, <laughs> what if somebody like said ball sack? Like, I don't know. Is that everybody's response? I don't know. Maybe I should have said that. Testicles. <laughs> I'm with all the guys be like, oh, there's something about that. I'm going to groom my, my ball sacks more. No, I'd say something to smile with their hands. Yep, excellent. Uh, and the last one here on Five Second Frenzy Goldilocks is your favorite curse word. 
Oh, it's implicit. It's politically incorrect. So yeah, it's, it's the F word. And then with us, with a suffix that's not politically correct. So let's see, I'll say fucktastic instead. That's, that's politically correct. Okay. That sounds fine to me. Well, uh, Goldilocks, <laughs> I want to thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. You. I really you appreciated really this. Do a great job with your research, much better than I do on my podcast and, um, great questions, great flow and super awesome personalities. So I'm glad that you got a chance to talk to, Scott Hudson, and that he steered you in a positive direction for <laughs> your uh, career choice. One of them. Yeah, that's it. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, I just really want to thank you for your time. And, and I want to say, you know, even though if things didn't work out with TNA the way that you wanted to, you've already done so many other wonderful things in life and you've entertained that's people funny. across across the US and wherever else you've been. I'm sure you've been everywhere now. Um, so you should be very proud of everything that you've accomplished. And uh, very you know, kind of you. Carl, and I will be looking for that PayPal. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, bro. Have a great night. Please let me uh, or Jamie, I just, I get everything through Jamie. Just let me know when this is out so I can promote it. Will do. Thank you very much, Goldilocks. I really appreciate you, brother. You take care. Thank you. And thank you everyone out there for watching the WZWA yes. Network podcast. I am your host, Carla Fornia in Fury, and I will see you all next time. Thank you. <laughs>